Harrison, do you know what I'm getting you for Christmas? Wait, you're getting me something? We have to get each other something? That wasn't... Do you know what I'm getting you for Christmas, Father Harrison? If you give me a gift, that implies I have to give you give it back. Well, don't worry, because I'm not getting you anything. Oh, good. It's just, I, see, that anxiety you felt... <laughs> I can relate to that very much so. You know, people talk about love languages all the time. Not all the time, but in Christian yeah. circles, right? Um, I am, I am, uh, uh, not only am I deaf, but I'm like in a coma when it comes to the love language of gift giving. Uh, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense to my brain. Like, I get it on a the- theoretical level. You like someone, you get them a gift. And you like to give the gift, you like to receive the gift, but none of that like clicks for me. Right. Like, um, I like things. Yeah. Like if someone gives me a thing that I like, that's cool. But I don't think about like giving somebody a gift. Like, oh, this person will like this. I'm excited to give it to them. Right. And what's even worse and more difficult is that like when someone gives me a thing, I don't know how to react to it like at yeah. all. Um, Wait, so are you giving me the joy of you coming to do a Lenten mission? You know, you're going to <laughs> tomorrow's my day off, and I just, all I need to do is take my picture. This is the only thing that's been, take my picture and send in the thing. You still haven't sent it in? I thought you had. What if it's not ready for Italy? It will be. Will it? Yeah. Okay. It'll be fine. Sorry. About yes. Um. So anyway, I need to do that. But the thing is like, I have like vivid memories of opening up Christmas presents around like grandparents and stuff and them all staring at me and I open it up and it is a thing that I like and want, but I still have no idea how to react to it. I just sit gotcha. there feeling awkward. Gotcha. And like a little bit annoyed that people expect something from me for receiving a gift. Right. There's actually some bitterness in this. Like how dare you expect the reward of an emotional reaction from me? Right. That that's where I am with gift giving. It's gotcha. not great. Okay. How about yourself? Um, I that's that that is definitely my love language. Actually, is gifts. So, but on, I'll be honest. It's definitely on the more receiving side than the giving side, sure. only because. Well, it's weird. My attachment to things has definitely lessened over the years, and I'm probably actually really hard to buy for because I really tend to only buy one thing. Yeah. It's books. Yeah. And the books I would want, most people wouldn't know where to start looking for them. Exactly. You have all the ones that would be easy to find already. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that, but it's weird. It's like, for me, it's like, I do, I appreciate receiving some sense. Like for me, it's a sign of, Oh, you care. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I almost don't care what it is. Yes. I just would like to know that I'm cared for. And I and listen, I, okay, I'm going to do a little promo for your pastors for those who are listening. Okay. I, it's, I think gift giving is important at certain times of year for priests because you have to remember, folks, we don't have families. We don't have, and many of us maybe even far away from our families where we don't have the opportunity to celebrate certain big occasions with them, et cetera, or, or, you know, they're just busy at Christmas and they're tired. They don't want to go home with visit their family, all, all that stuff. I think, you know, priests, I think generally do appreciate receiving things, whether even it's just a card saying with like a brief word of why you appreciate them as a priest. Mm-hmm. Those things are always helpful because it just lets the priest know, Oh good. I'm, I'm actually doing something good <laughs> that's true no no, because, no, I, like, I, no I because like that, yeah. these these become natural times these become natural times of of these are like real opportunities i think of, of those are those occasions to say hey i i i do appreciate you it's an easy time to do that because you know and we don't do it for thanks or anything like that right but it's just it's a right. these are these are good times to do that because then it's like the, the priests know that um they aren't always running up against the wall because it can easily feel like that sometimes. Sure. You know? Uh, so I think, you know, uh, so, and I know for myself, it's definitely, I like receiving those kind of things, but I also don't want to seem like a selfish jerk and say, Hey folks, give me present. Please show your appreciation to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, <that's laughs> so it's weird. weird. It's like for myself, I've actually like lessened my desire for gifts, 
but at the same time i think that desire still remains Mm -hmm. uh but i also recognize i'm probably very hard to buy for so when people say what do you want if they do ask i say amazon gift cards cash and that's probably or just a nice note in a card Mm -hmm. uh yeah but at the same time like i realize the importance of gifts yeah but i'm actually really bad at buying them because i don't really care about stuff anymore really truly (laughs) i don't know what that people would want certain things or what the what people desire today etc i'm just gonna try to buy a bunch of swords i'm just gonna hand out swords for for christmas what if they use them to cut cut off your man bun that's you know a risk you take when you give somebody a a, a bladed weapon you know mm-hmm. um i'm gonna be carrying my own sword as i give it to them so i'll be ready in self-defense yeah. but i think just various swords like i'll give like uh producer indiana will get like a dagger or a dirk or something like that um producer nick will get a broadsword. um i think i think producer Rob gets like a rapier of some kind i'm just gonna buy a bunch of bladed weapons for all my family and friends i think that's like and then you just, you just settle about. family disputes with sword fights. Yeah, first blood. Yeah. Not not to the death, but you know, first one to, to draw blood. To give I like a little cut. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. But here's the thing. You never told me what you're going to get me. I just did. I'm going to get you some sort of bladed weapon. Oh, okay. Can I, wait, can you have bladed weapons in Canada? Whom's this to say? I don't know. Like, how else do you fight against moose and geese and beavers? With your bare hands like a man. Okay. Uh, what about some brass knuckles? Is that sure. okay? Or is that cheating? <laughs> I, I think uh, the the postal office will will flag that one. <laughs> flag? Like I send you brass knuckles? I don't know. I don't know. It's like for bear punching only. You're talking to a king. We don't care about weapons. That's true. Um, yeah, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get some brass knuckles. Okay. You can wear them during your homilies. It'll be great. Who cares if it's 20 minutes? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so I am recording from the rectory today because it's weird. Now, everyone thinks Canada is this cold tundra and everything like this. And that where I am is always cold. Correct. Well, today would be a fair time to make that assumption because for some reason it's snowing like crazy outside. And uh-huh. we're supposed to get maybe close to a foot of snow today. It never snows in November. Now, uh, for those who may wonder, I, I, I uh, <laughs> so the computer I'm using is the, actually my office laptop because my recording equipment, I usually keep at the office because I'm usually there. So that's a good time to do this. Uh, but I don't, I, my tires are really junky right now and there's no way for me to, I just can't drive there right now. It's, it's yeah. just, I'm not a few minutes away, but I can't drive there. So I'm recording at home. The problem is the, the laptop for the parish has a broken headphone jack in it. And so I have to listen through like a third, my phone essentially, I have to listen to it. So it's really awkward when you're talking, you can hear yourself. So I'm going to keep taking my earphone in and out and stuff like that. It's going to be fun. But uh, if, it, if it sounds like I'm hesitating more than normal in my speech, it's because I'm forgetting that I'm actually listening to myself at the same time. And it's really awkward when you're talking, you know, so... Yeah, I think that would make the podcast way more enjoyable for me if I could hear all the brilliant words I'm saying in real time. Yeah, but you would have to say brilliant words first. I guess that would be the crux of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. But anyway, what's going on in the life of, of the uh, great father Harrison? Not Other much. Just making progress my, on, on my thesis stuff. My chapter's due in just under three weeks. It's actually coming to a, a good place, which is good. Uh, but I have a... I have a beef with a beef? the culture, with with the young people today. But it's not just <laughs> yeah. Let's become an old people podcast. This, here's up? the thing: it's not just the young people; it's just people in general. Yeah, let's hate people. What's going on? Since when did it become socially okay to watch TikTok videos, speak over FaceTime without headphones of some sort, or taking off speaker? Oh, that is a thing that I've seen. I hate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to hear your darn TikTok videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other day I was in uh, Sheets and someone literally had one of those like small speakers and it was just hanging from his belt. He was just playing music for the entire store. And I was like, 
well, I guess he's the main character of reality, and I'm just an NPC. I think that's I think that's what it is, Father Harrison. We're not actually the main characters of the universe. Whoever <laughs> is playing their music the loudest is the main character of the universe. But then, like, I even see people uh, talking on speakerphone. Like, I don't want to hear your conversation. Mm-hmm. That's because you good. don't matter. You don't matter to them. It's really weird. And it's kind I don't of like it. And I yeah. feel like there's some sort of, like... Girardi and mimesis going on where people start seeing others doing it and then they do it and it just becomes like socially normal that we have more noise than we already have in the world what you should do is when you see someone doing that walk up to them and start talking about Girardi and mimesis and then they'll stop they'll stop forever (laughs) it's really annoying i encountered like four or five times yesterday i'm just like this is the sign of the end of civilization Okay, uh, Father Harrison, if you were to do that, if you were to give into the darkness and just um, have whatever media audio blasting for the public, what would it be for you? This is the thing. I don't have a lot of media auto, audio I listen to. Don't do any books? Uh, some I, have some audio books? I have some audible books, I guess. Right now I'm learning German. So See, that would be scary. Someone just blasting German. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. It's not good. Not a good look. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, there's that. I guess I have my focus music that I listen to. So when I'm working, just to help me mm-hmm. actually keep focus, I have like a little app to help me keep focus with certain music for ADHD. Um, you know, the odd podcasts. Do you do the lo-fi stuff? What do you mean lo-fi? I'm I'm too old. I'm not. It's like a whole like anymore. genre of music that people like. Yeah, it's like a whole genre of music. Maybe that's just like super chill. It, may, just it may be lo-fi. that kind of music. Well, yeah, there's different. It's an app. It's got like different. Uh, it's got different. Different types of music according to the focus you need for the particular tasks you're trying to do. Gotcha. So. Um, but I would just never do that because I'm a decent human being. Oh, I can't do this. Sorry. This, this is really annoying. This whole earphone <laughs> thing. Uh, we'll get through it. I'm a decent human being. And so yeah. I won't do that to people. Like I was doing my dual Duolingo yesterday for a bit in public. Mm-hmm. I just turned off the volume completely because I didn't have any headphones with me because I'm a decent human being. I care about people. You do. That's why you're a good priest. <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. Um, and you know what good priests do? They they teach the ignorance. It's a spiritual work of mercy. And that's what we're going to do in Theological Emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet. And I wanted to know, is that a sin... Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hi, this is Greg from Ohio, and I have a question about outdoor weddings. I know that they're not encouraged, but I received a question from someone regarding if an outdoor wedding has an altar and a priest and a tabernacle, can the wedding still be held outside? Thanks for all you do. Well, Greg, if it is a real name, uh, you see that the whole outdoor wedding thing has nothing to do with whether or not there's a tabernacle. Actually, an outdoor tabernacle, would that would be more problematic. You probably could not have an outdoor tabernacle. To have a permanent tabernacle somewhere, you need like permission to do that. Um, right? Yeah, I'm actually just wondering if that exists. Here's the thing. Knowing the church... There might be something like that somewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Um, so, like, it's not about the tabernacle or even, like, the altar, per se. Um, it's important to have, like, some sort of dignified place that you can celebrate Mass. Uh, it's all about diocesan rules, actually. Um, and this is changing. Um, I think it's changing, I think, in New Jersey or in some dioceses of New Jersey. You can do outdoor weddings. Bishops are talking about this a lot, about doing outdoor weddings. So, it's just a um, uh, diocesan rule, basically. Um yeah. So you can have outdoor weddings in certain dioceses. I I do not like this idea, except for okay, do I. the exception is if if in your local area, 
there is no beautiful church to have your wedding in and you want to do it outside in a place of dignity and you're actually Catholic, then okay, maybe. But the thing is for me is like, I don't want to become some sort of like rubber stamp of a Catholic church. Like for couples who would never have their wedding in a Catholic church, but because they can have their outdoor wedding, that's what they actually care about, not the sacrament. And they can make it legit and have a priest there. Like, I don't like that idea. And maybe because I'm a bitter old man now, uh, maybe I should try to like just be merciful and do these weddings anyway so that they're in good standing with the church. But I, I don't know. Like, mm. and right now I have a gorgeous church, so I'm kind of biased. Like, you can't. Right. Like, my church is amazing. Why would you want an outdoor wedding? So many bad things can happen. Also, like, if we start doing outdoor weddings in certain places, like, I don't have time to travel to do weddings on Saturdays. I've got mass. I got confessions. Um, so it's it's going to be very difficult for uh, areas of the country where there's priest shortages to, like, be running around. We have 52 weddings in my um, parish. I can't be running around outside. That all being said, while I'm personally kind of anti-outdoor weddings, there's actually nothing wrong with it if your diocese allows it. And uh, But I just don't see it being feasible in the future. Uh, but yeah, it has nothing to do with altars or anything like that. I um, The only little thing I would think of maybe possibly if, and it would kind of affirm what Greg was saying is, like there are some shrines in dioceses that are outside. Mm-hmm. Um. And I could see that being possible, honestly, because like where they have like an outdoor, it's actually common that they have mass there. Maybe like it's a pilgrimage site every year or something like that. Yeah, uh, sure. I could actually see that happening. Or I think if like maybe like even like at Lourdes, right, where there is an altar outside, they have daily mass there outside. Yeah. And then maybe they have the, I don't, they have weddings there, but imagine they had weddings there or something like that. I could see that possibly. But the idea of like setting up a temporary altar someplace because on the beach, because you want a nice beach wedding, I would absolutely say no to that all the time and i'd say even if the diocese allowed it i'd say no um <laughs> but i i agree i think there's also meant to be something the the vitalness of place in the church is so important about communicating s- s- the reality of sacramentality that the building it's the reason yeah the kind of some of this emerged as kind of a, like all the stuff around form for marriage emerged in the Middle Ages, more or less, as a kind of protection uh, for women, actually, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to not be like left after their husband secretly married them and pushed them aside because they didn't get them, you know, a male heir or something like that, or they just didn't like them or something like that. So, okay, yeah. that's good. And I, 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 I keep on going back and forth on, on form for marriage. Uh, I'm 50-50 on it, but where I tend towards more, the- at, least, at least in terms of can- canon law, but the theological always tends to push me more towards um, uh, doing it in actually a proper church building. That's why like, I think the pilgrimage site would actually make sense sure. because it becomes akin to the it becomes akin to the church, really. You really are being married in a church, just has no roof, essentially. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and the reason being is that what is marriage? What is this? Like, it, we, I think the problem becomes we tend to rationalize uh, uh, liturgical and sacramental decisions around what is the absolute bare minimum when it should be the opposite. <laughs> what yeah. is the sacrament meant to communicate? And the sacrament is meant to communicate Christ's love for his church. And the church building itself is meant to communicate the stability and permanence of Christ, which is essential to the whole sacrament of marriage that you now are visible. The visible building is a sign of Christ's love for his church. Cause what does he do? He dwells in that building in the Eucharist. And just as Christ as God dwells with us in the, in the, his Eucharistic presence in the tabernacle, in the church building. So too, does he dwell really and truly in the sacrament of marriage in his love for uh, the church between husband and wife. I think that's actually really vital in its communication because where, where does the bare minimum come in? It's like, well, if they were stuck on a desert island somewhere and it was like just a man and a woman, they would validly contract marriage. And we would think, oh, well, if that's the bare minimum, that's what's required for the uh, our understanding. I think and sometimes, too, um, we need to realize that the maximum that's meant to be communicated by getting married in a church building is meant to also be a kind of 
implicit education in sac- into sacramentality itself, even if it's not explicitly said. And so I think these are very important reasons. It's why I would fight a tooth and nail to forbid outdoor weddings in general. I have no problem convalidating marriages or uh, doing sanations for marriages that happen without form. But in the end, it's really, I think, important to do this uh, properly uh, for these reasons. Yeah. And let's not forget that in all likelihood, outdoor outdoor marriages are not going to have a mass. Um, logistically, it's difficult to do an outdoor mass for a lot of people. Yeah. And so if all you have is like your parish priest bringing like a bunch of hosts and stuff and like all the equipment, it's probably not going to happen. So you probably need special permission to not have a mass if you're both Catholic. And so you're just kind of losing more and more of the point. Um, uh, there's uh, in Pittsburgh, there is this uh, uh, Heinz Chapel, which is a non-denominational uh, chapel on Pitt's campus. But it's historical and it's very nice looking and everything. And a lot of people who uh, want to get married there. Um, and we will do marriages there, but we never have a mass. Um, right. Just because the whole uh, transporting the Eucharist, all the logistics of it, uh, the diocese doesn't have masses there for their weddings. So I think it, a lot of that would be the same for outdoors. And mm-hmm. so you're you're losing even more of... Um, what's meant to be communicated and you're losing the sacrament of the Eucharist as well. So that's why I say outdoor weddings. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Hey fathers, my name is Victoria. Um, and where I'm from is, I'm from is irrelevant. I am really interested to read the constitutions from Vatican II. And so I wondered if you had a suggested reading order or if it should just go with the ones that interest me first. Uh, also, any follow-up or preview readings to do before or after I start on those to be better educated, more in a mindset, to get all the goodness out of those documents as I work through them. Thanks so much. Love the show. All right, Victoria. First, you said that where you're from is irrelevant. That's heresy, in my opinion. Place matters, as I just said in the last uh, part of this. Place matters for us as Catholics. And so where you're from matters. And clearly, uh, you don't need to read the council documents because clearly you are already taking on the priesthood of the faithful here and and, and, and entering into your true clerical dignity of telling us what you think we should determine is or is not irrelevant. So, I mean, I don't even feel like I have to answer the question anymore. Uh, yeah. Um, so take that, Victoria. You asking an honest question, us dunking on you hardcore. All right. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. All right. In all seriousness, though. In all seriousness. Okay. I'm really happy about this question, obviously. When we were looking over them, I was like, hey, I want this one. Uh, um, (laughs) so Vatican II, very important. Uh, some good reading pre or post. I, I, uh, I was supposed to have a book on Vatican II published this year, but I canceled the contract because I ran out of time to actually get it finished. Uh, so I would have recommended, you know, that. But when it comes out, maybe eventually when I'm done my thesis, you can read that. Uh, so I think honest, I mean, hmm. so, I mean, so there's a lot of documents, right? There's four main constitutions, right? You have uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium on the liturgy. You've got De Verbum on Revelation. You have Lumen Gentium on the church. And you have Gaudium et Spes on the church in the modern world. And then you have all sorts of other documents, the document on religious freedom, the document on uh, on priestly ministry, uh, the document on the, uh, the apostolate of the, la- la- uh, the laity, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, um, so it, it, I think... I would recommend, I'm trying to think here off the top of my head. I think it's actually important because Vatican II is unique in one way, I think, that it's something I've been realizing more and more. It really is actually kind of a council of theologians for the first time. It's not to say that theologians were not uh, referred to, uh, depended upon in previous councils, but the the, the formation of the documents, like uh, they really came out as the work of, of, of real theologians that the bishops then approved. This is actually a first really in councils. Like in the early church councils, the bishops were the theologians. Yeah. Uh, you, if you're a bishop, you, you knew theology inside and out. This is not the case as much in the, in the, um, 
this is not so much lately as as much in the um, in the uh, uh, in the church. Uh, some bishops don't have a lot of theological education per se, or they are canonists, or they have education in other areas. So this was part of the whole thing, anyways. Um, so by that, I'm just saying that it's a bit more technical than most councils in terms of, of, of documents. And so it's important to keep that in mind. The, I think a good introductory book is important. I don't, th- this is the, the problem is there's not really a lot or any introductory books on the documents themselves. This is why I was writing the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, um, I'm um, uh, forgetting his first name. O'Malley's got a history of the council, which is decent. That might be helpful. Uh, Ratzinger's has a, a book called like the highlights of Vatican II, where he goes over the four main documents and some of the stuff that's happening. Um, and, and would be, ha- and, and kind of talks about his approvals, his criticisms, what was happening behind the scenes, et cetera. That might be helpful. Um, but yeah, the problem is, and I think this is why actually Vatican II gets a lot of heat is, it doesn't, there isn't really a lot of good introductory stuff out there. Um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. There's another book that's talked about like how the council has been received in the last 50, 60 years. Um, I'm forgetting his name. He's a priest from Florida and I'm just forgetting my name, its name right now. Anyways, um, so there is stuff out there. There's articles for sure, but I I do think uh, there's not a lot out there still. So when it so just to keep this in mind when you're reading the documents they are a little technical and it's important to keep that in mind. In order personally I would there's you have two options really. There's there is the historical order or there is the logical order. And if it's the historical order you go uh Sacrosanctum Concilium De Verbum Lumen Gentium Gaudium et Spes. I'd actually go the logical order, which is which would be uh, Lumen Gentium, uh, or sorry, sorry, no, 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 uh, De Verbum Lumen Gentium, Sacrosanctum Concilium, Gaudium et Spes, mm-hmm. and the rest of the documents. If you want to read them, great. So that you know, but in the end, go, or you can do what you said. You could just do whatever you want first, whatever one appeals to you the most. I think, especially. Uh, I mean, all the documents have some richness to them. Uh, Dei Verbum is probably one of the more theologically rich ones. Lumen Gentium. I mean, they're all, yeah, it's just like I can go on and on about all of them. And I don't want, <laughs> I got to be careful about that. Uh, yeah. Because it really helps you understand what we mean by the phrase word of God. It's not, it's not scripture. It encompasses scripture, but it's more than that. It's revelation itself. Christ is the word that is revealed. Uh, so that document really helps you have a balanced approach to what revelation is that I think is really good. So uh, anyways, that's my two cents. What do you think, Father Anthony? Yeah. I, um, I, Dave Abrams also, is, it's not terribly long. Um, no, it's, I think it's, it's the a, shortest of the four. Yeah. And it's, uh, I haven't read them in a while, but that one I think is pretty approachable. And it's, um, so yeah, I would say that. Um, and then what translation would you recommend? I mean, the only one I really know about is the Abbott one. The Abbott one? The the Isn't ones there, that uh, are just out there. The yeah. Okay. Well um, Cool. I mean, unless you know Latin. You just want That's to read true. them in Latin. Yeah. You could just learn Latin first. There you go. There's your there you there's go. your uh pre work pre and was it reading? you could you can listen to it on Audible. Uh-huh. Learn on Audible with, with the headphones out, yes, so that everyone can hear it, and you can mm-hmm. evangelize everyone. That's your answer. There, there you go. go, Victoria. All righty, is it time? <laughs> it's for time. the thing that we do. Yep, let's do uh, it. What's what's it called? Um, you mean presbyteral exhortations? Yeah, presbyteral exhortations. <laughs> and now it is time for presbyteral. Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best oh, part. Oh, yeah. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. So I do have a topic this time. We don't have to call Shan Lass uh, children. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm a little... <laughs> you know, that was delightful. Um, when our own producers weren't there to help us, 
the Shannon last, the last family were, were there. Yeah. And if you don't know who those people are, they're just regular people that we know. That's, that's yeah. all, that's all it is. <laughs> Good friends. Good friends. Okay, cool. Uh, um, so part of me is a bit hesitant to talk about this because okay. I feel like I, I should, I think it'd be helpful because one of the helpful things that we do, but, uh, more and more, we are all finding out that people who are in our parishes and stuff, uh, and kind of in our area start listening to our podcast and that makes it oh, sometimes <laughs> a little I'm more tricky. Out. I don't, I don't really advertise the podcast in my parish, not because yeah. I don't want them to know about it or anything. I just, I'm really not in favor. I'm not a big fan of self-promotion, even though producer Nick keeps on pushing us to advertise it he in does. parish bulletins yeah. and stuff. Uh, but I think, you know, sometimes maybe people, you know, what happens? Oh, I want to know if this person has done anything. I'm going to Google their name and then a parishioner might find out about it. So yeah, more and more parishioners are finding out more people from my diocese are finding out about it. I think Yeah, uh, we're a small diocese. I'm kind of known just because I'm one of the actual few priests here. So <laughs> you just get known yeah. as a priest in the diocese that way. Uh, um, but yeah, more and more people are finding out about it for sure. So there's, there's, there's that, um, when we had that very lovely Wall Street Journal article about us, more and more mm -hmm. people in my area apparently read that. And okay. So, uh, but still think I need to talk. Cause one of the things we talk about is kind of like our lives, our experience as priests mm -hmm. and, um, kind of going back to one of the, I think more important episodes, at least in the life of one Tommy Ty was that we talked about, um, some, um, like mental illnesses and difficulties, uh, particularly with me, uh, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. Um, and we had, uh, Tommy Tyon, who is a psychologist. Um, and, uh, he talked about this sort of thing as well. And then he wrote a book on all this and has a mm -hmm. lovely podcast, the St. Dymphema playbook. Yeah. I say that right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, just talking about, um, not just even mental illnesses, but uh, everything surrounding that. Mental health stuff. Mental health. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> What's the opposite <laughs> of illness? Health. Mental health stuff and the Catholic faith. It's really good. Um, so check that out. Uh, Tommy Ty. So I guess I'll just start with a story of okay. Father Anthony being cranky the last few days. You ready for this, Father Harrison? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but like I, I think I have a pretty good pastoral game face. Mm-hmm. It's a very important skill to cultivate mm -hmm. when like you are cranky or you're caught off guard or um, you're upset about something. And then a parishioner comes and says something to you and you need to project a pastoral welcoming countenance and demeanor toward this person. Right. Even if what they say is crazy. Right. Um, and even if, you know, so either they're crazy or you're feeling crazy either way you have to just have your pastoral game face. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized in a couple conversations that I did not at all. Um, and like I said, normally I'm very good at this. At least I think I am because I know the way I'm feeling inside. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I don't project all the time when I'm feeling inside, which is a good thing. First time was at mass and it was actually I was in the sacristy. Uh, and uh, we're doing this thing where we started to do the opening hymn for mass and then we do the antiphon chanted mm -hmm. for our, you know quote unquote high masses we have our choir do like a fancy antiphon um but for the regular masses it's kind of a very simple chant um and so Cantor came up to me and was saying uh how should we do this and i immediately got annoyed because i thought to myself you know you this isn't my job to tell you how to do this. This is our wonderful music minister thing. So I'm starting to get a little cranky right off the bat. And uh, then he begins telling me that, you know, this is actually against the rubrics. You're supposed to either choose an antiphon or choose, uh, have the antiphon or use a hymn. What? Uh, yeah. Is it? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of I like. I have not heard this. So the opening antiphon is what is the ordinary. And if not, you can substitute a hymn for it. It's my understanding of the rubrics, whatever. Doing both. Whatever. Okay. This was the thing he was lecturing me on. And immediately the pastoral face wasn't there. Nor was the pastoral explanation. <laughs> well, sorry. Pastoral... I mean, I just had the lack of the uh, pastoral face as you were saying this. <laughs> yes. So... Uh, the pastoral explanation would have been like, hey, we want to introduce 
antiphons because they're actually more proper to mass. But we don't want to like throw people off their routine so much because people still um, are used to hymns and enjoy hymns and know the hymns better. So we're just doing both. And there's that's okay. We have a pastoral reason for why we're doing this. Instead, what I said was, well, that's not the craziest thing that's been uh, liturgically done in this diocese or in this church, uh, which was a shot at some of the past of that particular church, which was utterly inappropriate on my part. And meanwhile, I've got a very cranky face. Okay. And so that was, that was scenario number one. Then there was scenario number two, where, um, was driving back to my rectory after morning mass and I'm going into my garage and I realize there's a car chasing me down. And as the garage door is going down there, the people in this car, like waving at me frantically. So immediately I think there's some kind of an emergency. So I, I, and I also like at this point in time of the day, all I want to do is eat breakfast and get more coffee. Like I've done mass. I did the thing. I just want coffee and breakfast. And this was interrupted. So Father Anthony is cranky. Open up the garage door, see the couple there, and they ask me where the funeral was. And did not have a pastoral face because I thought there was some kind of like desperate emergency. Um, we have a giant church building. And I basically said that, uh, well, most of our funerals are in the church. Um, and they kind of pointed toward the church and they're like, oh, well, we don't, we didn't realize that. And I'm getting like very upset for some reason. Like, where do you think we would have funerals? Mm -hmm. They're in the church. We don't have them like in basements or whatever. Right. Um, meanwhile, this couple's like, they're here for a funeral, right? So they may not be all with it. And I'm right. not being very pastoral. And then they asked, where do they park? And I just kind of pointed at the parking lot saying the parking lot you just drove through. So I'm kind of like, being a bit of a jerk to these people anyway they ended up parking in front of my garage anyway and that, that made me cranky i was like oh wow oh, something's wrong here father harrison so because i'm normally not like this and i'm I, finding myself being very bitter towards people so before we go into your bitterness yeah please can i can i do a little quick yeah liturgical thing just to sure. address your antiphon thing because I, I got my brain. Yeah, going cool. For a yeah. Second. I just Please. want just because people are going to be asking. Yeah, like get it out of your brain so we can keep get going. out of the brain. So okay, look, I just looked up the germ on this, and it says that. Okay, it says uh, the entrance chant or this or this or this. At least this is the Canadian germ. Okay, the the Canadian general structure for the yeah. Romans. Well, here's the thing, or it does not just mean either. It's not a. It can mean mm -hmm. both and. And so that's that is a reasonable interpretation of a text, and so you could do this. Also, uh, since it gives a it definitely gives a, a priority to the sung antiphons, for sure in the the germ, you could say, well, actually, no, we're making a step forward by before because it it, it emphasizes the chant. So by doing this, also. Uh, we could, I mean, technically you can say, well, the entrance then for us really, we're just walking up the aisle. And when we get to the foot of the altar, that's when the, you know, chant begins or whatever. Right? Yeah. Like there's all sorts of, this is the thing. So, uh, the person who was arguing with you about this, uh, um, yeah. I don't think was taking other possible interpretations into account and only had their interpretation about what is actually reasonably reasonable there. And I think there right. can be arguments made that this is a step forward towards wanting what the germ is asking for as, as priority. But I don't see anything wrong with that because actually that's what we were trying. We were, you know, talking with our choir director, singing an entrance a hymn, and then when you get to the foot of the altar for the incense thing and everything, that's when the entrance antiphon would kick yeah. in. Yeah, which is all totally fine. And and don't get me wrong. Um, while this person might have been a little bit boisterous, they weren't trying right. to be rude. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Interpreted it as like, well, who is but this cantor like who's giving me the, a lecture before mass? Right. But here's the thing, though. You're not the pastor. Also like, true. I can I can understand like the grumpiness in that moment because oh, they're yeah. you feeling assaulted mm -hmm. in a way about something that's really not in your realm of responsibility at all. As even though you are a priest and everything like that, it's not really within your like this is not the thing you're supposed as an associate, this is not in your area of concern generally. And you don't also want to step on your pastor's toes, etc. And right. and you're like, well, why I mean you're thinking to yourself, why are you talking to me about this right now? This doesn't make any sense to me. Exactly. And all that's Sorry. completely true. Yeah. All that's completely true. The point was, what bothered me was the fact that I did not hold 
my stuff together yeah. in that yeah. moment where normally I would. Okay. Okay. So Father Anthony realizes he's he's just been in a kind of angry mood. Um and as um I think it was later that Sunday or something. I, I was visiting my parents real quick, really briefly. And uh, then I was driving back to um my parish in the morning, uh Monday morning, and the thought came to me, I'm so sick and tired of being at war with myself <laughs> in two ways. One, I, I've noticed lately that um, the anxiety that I struggle with um, has been kind of creeping up more and more. Um, and also, I do struggle with like a kind of seasonal depression thing, and that snuck up on me. Um, right. And then on top of that, I guess I, you know, I felt very resentful about being a priest, not being a priest, but for example, um, Wednesday, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I was able to drive up to my aunt's place in Toledo and I could spend Wednesday night there, Thanksgiving there, but I had to, I had to drive back to the parish, um, that night. And that night I got a call to go to the hospital Thanksgiving night, uh, which, you know, way more difficult for the people who were in the hospital than it was for me. Um, but it was, it was the fact that like, I, it was so good to see my family. I became bitter that I only had like 12 hours with them, uh, because parish life just keeps going. Like I said, things that don't normally get to me have been getting to me, which mm -hmm. is not great. The one thing that I, it's very t tough. I think this, I, I assume this is, so I'm going to be talking from my experience, but I, right. I assume this is true for other people. Uh, and maybe it's true with, uh, and you can tell me with, with ADHD or not, that it becomes such a part of your life that you almost don't want to acknowledge that it's debilitating. Um, right. Or like, uh, like, I instead of realizing that, hey, this is a difficult time of year for me, um, there are certain normal emotional things I'm dealing with, like the struggle between uh, family life and priesthood. And that's going to be a normal struggle that guys go through. Um, like there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a thing that will happen and you have to work through and pray about it. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, the anxiety has been increased and everything, all that's instead of realizing that, hey, I'm not going to be as uh, productive or I need to work on myself more. Instead, it's like I'm not being a good priest or like I should be perfect with every interaction in my with my parishioners or um, instead of realizing that there's a difficulty I'm facing. Instead, it's like you are bad. Um, right. I think there's a increased pressure for people who are like. For me as a priest, absolutely. But I also think like, I mean, for for parents when they're dealing with their children and dealing with whatever they're dealing with. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a little bit of, I don't know if you have, any, have anything to, yeah. Um, I, well, it's interesting. So I had the young adults over on Thursday night and it was great as it always is with them. And they didn't, uh, we talked at the end about, I said, Oh yeah, I found something about Fulton Sheen and some of them had never heard him. Like they've maybe heard of him, but they hadn't watched anything by him or they didn't even know who the guy was. So I found a random episode on, uh, it was called psychoanalyzing yourself as is a typical uh, uh, sheen uh, as a typical sheen uh, title. Anyways, it's very good because he was talking about like the normal and the abnormal person. And he's talking about the relationship between uh, reason, will, desire, the subconscious, all this stuff. I say all this because like it really got me to actually reflect a bit. About like, so for example, like the ADHD thing, do I use that too much as a crutch almost like, um, where I, I, I think sometimes we forget that we have free will. And I think that this has been, it's also weird. It's actually been coming up in my studies a lot too. Like it's all been, it's all been coalescing interestingly for me. So and this is why I love theology so much because it does impact my spiritual life too, in many ways. Mm -hmm. But, um, this notion of freedom is so vital and we've, and we're, we've been born into a world where freedom, if it's to be itself has to be self-constructing. And if it's anything else, oh, if it's anything else, um, then it, 
or sorry, if it's not anything self-concerning, then it's some illness and that you're bound by this and you have no freedom in response to it, right? Which is actually quite a limited notion of freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very limited. And I think that that is something that needs to be rediscovered more. And it's something I'm trying to kind of slowly rediscover. But here's the problem. And I, I wonder if it's something that, there's something you had said that's kind of popped this idea in my mind was, what if... The problem is we don't have time to, to deal with it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Like, like I think for myself, for example, like I want to learn more about how to function with my ADHD better. I need to, in fact, to be a better administrator than I am because administration takes a lot of time and energy out of me. I just, yeah. it takes a lot to focus on those paperwork things or to organize things. If it's not in front of me, I don't see it. If I don't see it, I forget about it. Um, and I was just talking to my uh, pastoral coordinator this morning about like a, an issue in the parish. And I said, like, I just, my brain just doesn't go there. And I don't know how to do this. I actually don't know how to do this. Like, which I'm like, okay with saying but the problem is there's also in the expectations. Well, you should be able to do like all the stuff all the time, which you can't. Right. So it's like a roundabout way of saying like, I think the, like, I think there could be a way of coming to like a healthy place with, our strengths and our weaknesses, if we actually had the time to deal with them and integrate them properly, like that weakness is actually meant to be integrated, not pushed yeah. away, but integrated, but we don't have time to do it. We actually don't, it's hard to make the time to do it because we have all these funerals, all these weddings, uh, pastoral meetings, you know, social stuff with parishioners, um, you know, sacramental stuff, blah 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 meetings diocesan meetings and and you we all and you do need time to just rest and relax with yourself and with friends but like the bitterness then like what you're just talking about becomes a sign of like oh i haven't had time to actually like deal to like wrestle and to integrate this properly and I don't think the busyness that we keep on expecting of parish life and that is kind of thrusted upon us uh, does us any good with it. And I think in part, then this is why, for example, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to apply it with you, but just, I was talking to a priest yeah. from yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's why guys leave <laughs> because yeah, they don't have the time because we don't, I'll, we have these weird senses of what a priest is supposed to be. And I, th- and I think, honestly, that this is, I think it's different, obviously, but it's also something similar to what parents go through, especially when they have a bunch of young kids. Um, yeah. You don't have the time to deal with this stuff. And no one's willing to accept that you and I also have weaknesses. Right. <laughs> and I don't know if that's, and that's not good. Like, at least in a marriage your spouse knows you're weak, you know, right. <laughs> and knows you have many weaknesses. Uh, but because we don't live that same life, people don't necessarily, they only see maybe the good stuff. And then when you fail in something, there's no mercy and there's no forgiveness and there's no acceptance of your weakness. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what it feels like. I think among there are definitely parishioners who who get it more than others, um, who won't take personal offense when you mess up. But in my experience, there's a lot that take personal offense when you mess up because they don't. There's not that connection, and uh, that can add to the bitterness as well. Um, and it's one of those things. Like I, what's frustrating is that um, it's funny because I really worked hard on myself in seminary. Like something I took very seriously. You had the time. But you, you become like, yeah, exactly. You had the time and, but also like going through that, that's a period of transition and growth. Absolutely. Um, but becoming a priest is like a whole new thing that no amount of seminary can really prepare you for. And then it can be frustrating to have to like all of a sudden deal with this stuff when you've gone through a major, like a really major life change that you can't be prepared for you know yeah um and 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 uh and it's just like yeah i was just gonna say quickly and and it's it's a major life change and yet what's the church's response we need more programming to save priests but i yeah. don't think that's the solution 
And I think we're going the wrong way, for example, in extending priestly formation even more. Because what you're doing is you're actually setting them up to think that this is priestly life almost through their experience of a kind of healthy, balanced life. Like you have a lot of school, but you also have time for leisure and you have time to integrate things. You have time for spiritual direction. Like I'm trying to do spiritual direction right now, but I'm like struggling to think about what to talk about. Not because I don't want to. But I haven't had time to like let it seep yeah. in about what I need to work on or what I need to to talk about. Um, yeah. And like I actually wonder sometimes if the Denver model of seminary formation is a good one, actually. Like, and I mean that like I I wonder in the positive sense, like because most of the from what I understand, most of the guys who are in seminaries live in parish rectories. Like they have large rectories and parishes, and they're kind of integrated into the parish a bit more with and living with the the priests and stuff. I'm like, there's something good about that. Because then you actually have a sense of what you're getting into and you have more yeah. time to prepare for what that's going to be like so that when you're there, you you know what you need to do to live this day to day. But you're just kind of thrown. It's like you've gone from the shallow end to the deep end without being taught how to swim in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you were. You're, yeah, it's definitely all that. So it's, you know, what you said about. Um, so. In a certain sense, I, I'm in a better place than I would have been in the past because I was able to recognize what was going on sooner than I used to. And so I knew I had to like, do so, some things I can do. Like, I need Anthony, you need to drag yourself to the gym and do something to get your brain to produce happy juice uh, by exercise. Like, bring out the lamp that I use, uh, the happy light in the morning, get back into that routine um, and start doing the things, some of the things that like help me with this thing. Um, and so it's good that I at least have the tools to begin doing that. But it's just funny how this stuff like is still, even though I've been dealing with myself for 33 years, it still sneaks up on me and surprises me. Like it was, it was like a week of me barely functioning before I realized, oh wait, something's not right. Um, and that's, I think one of the tricky things with mental health. Uh, that it can sometimes, or like you don't realize into those consequences, like in the middle of <laughs> a recording, I just got a text message about a thing that I forgot to do. And now my heart is beating in my head because right. I like, have to, yeah. but it's actually not a big deal. Like I can fix this. I I'll fix this in like five minutes after the podcast is done. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah. that's a, a struggle that I have to deal with. Um, right. So that. And, yeah, no, no, no. I hear you because, like, I, I mean, I, the same thing. It's like I've been getting some texts lately about, "Hey, what's going on with the World Youth Day stuff?" I'm like, "Well, I, mm -hmm. I'm kind of behind on it because I found out the diocese wants it done a certain way, but they won't do the work to actually make it happen, and I don't have time to do that work." And I'm like, actually, at the point of saying, like, maybe I'm not going to go, um, mm -hmm. which I don't really want to do. I would like to go, but I mean, I might have to do that because I can't. I can't. My strengths are not in in the executing of like the decisions that need to happen. Um, maybe yeah. I can get there one day if I could like slow down, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, sure. I think this is, like, I think it gets to a question of slowing down a bit more again, uh, because why are we bitter? Because we don't like think it, it's, it's, it's held up resentments spiritually and psychologically that just haven't been processed properly through good social networks of friends in prayer, in, uh, in all sorts of things. And so they just kind of pile up and then we lose the priest face. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's also some of the expectations that we put on ourselves that like, yeah. so for example, the reason why I had to come back home Thursday night on Thanksgiving is because I had mass the next day. Um, and I, you know, just the drive time, like I need to go back that night. Uh, right. But like, what if beforehand, like we had it in the, the yearly calendar or whatever, just saying, hey, we're not going to have uh, mass uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving so that the priests can spend more time with their families. Like how many people would actually be upset by that? I bet none or close to none for like one daily mass. But we don't even allow ourselves to think like that um, because... Yeah, sometimes it's expectations the parishioners put on us, sure. But I think sometimes it's the expectations we put on ourselves yep. for stuff like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, but again, we need the time to be able to process that and to figure what that is. Yeah. 
And we don't yeah. have that often. Exactly. Or when we do, we're just too tired. Instead, you're just like, oh, this is what the calendar says. We have to keep going because yeah. there's so much stuff. I mean, yeah. but uh, that's the thing. It's like, uh, this is like, <sighs> modernity sucks. It keeps on pushing this fast paced activism on us. Mm-hmm. But a priest exists not for activism, but for prayer and sacraments. Mm-hmm. But we flip it on, we flip it on ourselves and to think we got to do all this program, do this, 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 we got to do, 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 do. Like, uh, we got to, uh, that is such a problem. And I mean, like, it's, it's the question I keep on asking, like, how do you form a parish to be less, less activistic and more contemplative? Because I think, but we need to do it ourselves. The, the, the problem becomes, of course, that it keeps on flipping because then we, to do that ourselves, we need the time to do it, which is hard to do because the activism of a parish says we got to do these things and it just keeps on. It's a, it's a circle of death. <laughs> yeah. Parish life, a circle of death. <laughs> A memoir by Father <laughs> Anthony Shrub. <laughs> and I don't mean that, right? But it's just because like, no one's like, no one's intending yeah, this. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We just, mm-hmm. we all have these expectations of what a parish is supposed to be, what a priest is supposed to be, what a lay person is supposed to be. And we keep on acting on those mm-hmm. things instead of asking, is this A, what's working anymore? B, is this what these things are actually supposed to be like, we're not asking discernment in its proper sense, relating charisms or activities to their charisms, etc. cetera. Uh, we need to be doing that, but we need to slow down to do that. Like I've had a few requests to do things in the parish. And I've said like that we do X, Y activity or group. Or, and I've said, not right now. We're doing this retreat day in January for different groups to come together to discern how we want to move as a parish together. And so I'm just not doing, I'm not adding anything right now. And that's, you know, some people were frustrated about that. I mean, they weren't angry at me about it or anything, but I'm like, no, we need to do this. We, but that's the purifying element of truth. We got to keep on going through, but we need the time to do it. And we, it's just, it's, yeah, I don't know. It feels like an impossible situation sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if there is an answer to it per se. And I think part, that's part of the cross of it all is that we just kind of, kind of go through it and be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just as parents have to kind of go through it with their children as they're growing up, you can't, there's no systematic fix to things. Yeah. It's uh, kind of mow through it. So, you know, speaking of, of being angry about stuff, um, uh, we are recording this um, and uh, on uh, what's this called? StreamYard. And uh, producer Nick has access to pop into our StreamYard. He doesn't normally do it. But he nope. has this time. Yeah. And so there's a, in the bottom like left-hand corner, uh, there's like a little picture of Nick. And during this entire conversation, he's been showing us his various bobblehead yeah, collection. As, as we're has. exposing our hearts uh, and our wounds. Yes. And it's really he's ticking me off. Like I'm trying to like, like, ex- like really talk about serious stuff. And Nick's like, hey, look at this Pope John Paul II bobblehead and Pope Francis and Jesus. And he just keeps waving them around. And it's driving me crazy. Look, no, no, you don't get, don't put him in the call. Go away. I didn't put him in. That's the sound of a bobblehead. Okay, he put himself in, apparently. <sighs> Welp. Hey, uh, what did one one plate whisper to the other plate? What? Dinner's on me. <laughs> I quit. Done. It's been a fun run. Over. It's been a fun we, run. You know what? We we had a good run of it. I think I'm glad of the body work we produced. And this is the last episode ever. So <laughs> that's what producer Nick has, has pushed me into. So thanks for listening. Uh, please leave a review on iTunes if you want to. I don't care because I'm done forever. <laughs> thanks, producer Nick. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast hey, if you hey, want hey, to. What, I don't what care. Are the, what are the strongest days of the week? Saturday and Sunday, because the rest are weekdays. Tell your enemies, too. Like my enemy, my brother, Nicholas Sharapa. You can find me driving to his place of work and strangling him to death um, in Minecraft. Uh, you <laughs> do it can, to keep ahead, your pastoral him. face. Keep your pastoral yes, face I'll as you do it. Very pastorally. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Tell me more how you feel. Wait, you, uh, you can find me words? on Twitter at fr Harrison, where I am constantly tweeting stuff I'm reading lately because that's all I I do when I have free moments. Uh, contact the podcast and send hate mail to producer Nick Chirapa at ClericalPod on Twitter. Uh, mock him on Facebook. Uh, annoy him in comments on YouTube. Or email him at ClericalSpeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a question about, or just a comment about how terrible producer Nick is? Call 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless. <laughs>